live in a world plagued by pornography, and people are looking for help. When an individual struggles with pornography, they often turn to their church leader for that help. How does a leader help a person overcome the shame of this issue and start seeing positive progress? How can a leader help youth to open up about struggles with pornography? What are some lasting, proven tactics that actually make a difference? In order to help, Leading Saints has created the Liberating Saints Library with more than 20 presentations featuring individuals who have a unique perspective or expertise around this topic. Three of those most popular sessions are available to watch now. Simply text the word LEAD to 474747 to start watching now or visit leadingsaints.org liberating. I'm Valerie from Twin Falls, Idaho, and I like Leading Saints because I'm able to listen and it gives me great ideas for when I'm helping other people and I'm trying to serve them as Jesus would serve, and it helps me have great ideas for the best way to reach people and to bring the gospel to them. Welcome back to the Leading Saints podcast. My name is Kurt Frankham. Your host, and if you're new to Leading Saints, it's important that you know that Leading Saints is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping Latter-day Saints, that's you, be better prepared to lead. And we do that through various methods of content creation, like this podcast, which you should subscribe to. Make sure you're on the newsletter at leadingsaints.org slash subscribe. That newsletter goes out weekly. We also have a a website, uh, leadingsaints.org, with thousands of articles and other uh, types of content that you can jump into. You can actually search according to the role and responsibility you have, and uh, be led to some content that may just change your life. Now, speaking of life changes, I hope and I anticipate this episode will do just that. I interview Louis Hamner, and Louis has been somebody in my, uh, he's sort of in my network. He's a friend, and I've known that he's been serving as a bishop. I think it was released just a few years ago, and he is a dynamic individual. And I always thought, man, I'd love to sit down with Louis and just figure out what it is he does and how he approaches leadership. And I'm so glad I did because this is a awesome episode. I'm going to make a prediction right now. This episode will be easily in the top 10 most downloaded episodes of all time, 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 time. So I think you'll enjoy it. It's so good. Just I'm, Why aren't we just jumping into this? Let's get into it. Here is my friend, Louis Hamner. All right, today I am in, uh, I guess this is Midvale with Louis Hamner. How are you, Louis? Great, doing great. Good. Now, we were, you told me this story before, and we were joking, obviously, we're recording this on a recording device. And you told me that you had, you got three patriarchal blessings because of recording mishaps. That's right. That's briefly yeah. tells that story. Just generally, like the first, the first blessing that I got, the, the patriarch after like, he's been doing it for like 35, 40 years, and he's like, I can't find the blessing. And he called Salt Lake, he can't find it. So then I had to go get another one. And I, he, you know, got the tape recorder out and put the mic on and gave the blessing. And then he's like, let's just check to make sure that it worked. And he rewound it and then played it again. And it just was like, Psh. it said testing one, two, three, testing, then went, and, yeah, and the scary thing was he looked at me and goes, are you still alive? And I'm like, what? <laughs> anyway, at 18, that's pretty scary. Yeah. And then the third one. And then the third one took, yeah. yeah. Third one took, and yeah. I think now most patriarchs like have a, a backup and a backup of yeah. the recording. They have like, yeah, two things. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's, yeah. that's great. Well, <laughs> maybe nobody will hear this. Louis. this will just be <laughs> yeah. for my benefit. But it is recording. I'm seeing it count. So this, awesome. is good. this is good. So give us a little bit of background. You recently 
released as a bishop, right? Yeah. Two years ago. I got released about two years ago, almost to the day in April. Oh, cool. So April of 19. And uh, I live in Saratoga Springs, married for 25 years, 26 years coming up and got three kids, one on a mission now, comes home in a couple months from Spain. And yeah. Cool. Nice. And you served in Greece. I think yeah, I served in Greece. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. yeah. And you don't hear that very often. But, yeah. And probably back then you didn't. I mean, not no, that this, yeah. you're not an old man, Louis, but I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I was like number 80 missionary, like the 80th or 70th missionary to, uh-huh. to go to Greece. And, and like how's that. your Greek? Is it terrible? Yeah. It's all Greek to me. Like <laughs> it's, it's all, Greek. It's all ter- it's terrible. <laughs> so, and we've interacted, we have some mutual friends that connected a few times and I've always appreciated like just being in those circles of discussion and things with you. And I always thought, you know, and then I found out later you're a bishop. And I'm like, oh man, I, it would be a good fit because you have really made, and maybe you can speak to this, like you've, you didn't just go to college and say, great, my education's got done, but you've made a life of education. Yeah. Yeah. I've been self-employed for 18 years, own my own company for 15. Right. Mm-hmm. And that when you, uh, when you're self-employed and especially if you're, you know, running a company, it's like you feel like you had to get, keep ahead of things that are changing and the skill sets that your competition have. And, yeah, and, and you're so, in a very competitive industry. Yeah, I'm in a very, yeah, yeah, yeah. Title insurance, like it's super competitive, you know? And so, yeah, so I just like, I, you know, read hundreds of books on leadership or, you know, communication, just anything that would help me run my business better. And I needed yeah. a lot of help. So I had to read a lot of books and I've attended several trainings, you know, some of the best training in the world, I think, you know, from mm-hmm. Tony Robbins to Darren Hardy to John Maxwell, just, stuff that really impacted me as a business owner. And yeah, so that's been my, you know. Yeah. And, th- and those trainings you list off, these aren't like pay $80 and spend a weekend with us. Like these are serious investments to really help yeah. you develop as a leader. Right? 100%. That's yeah. thousands of dollars. That's, you know, some of those trainings are six grand just to walk in the door. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot, Yeah, and, but worth it because their insight and the nuances and certain skills that you just don't realize, you know? Yeah. And this is what fascinates me, maybe having this conversation is leaders like you, that you've had years and years, even decades of applying some of these leadership principles in the, in the professional setting. And then you're called as a bishop and naturally you're going to default to what works that you've applied elsewhere. And, and that makes you a more powerful leader, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, you know, just was thinking about this, like Jesus, when he was talking to Peter, he talked about being fishers of men because it related to his vocation, you know, hmm. what, what he did, he could understand it by fishing, you know? And so kind of what I realized is not that you run your ward like a business, right. you know, but you learn the skills in the business that actually apply that are universal, whether, you know, regardless of the, the environment, you know, even yeah. in my home, I've learned skills from those trainings and all that from my mm-hmm. work that helped me be a better father and better husband. Yeah. 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 And, and every business or church service, it's a people business, right? You're dealing exactly. with people the and same thing. motivations and attitudes and perspectives. And, you know, so a lot of these principles apply, right? 100%. Yeah. 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 Anything with, uh, you know, leading up to your services as a bishop that would be worth mentioning? I mean, was it something that, I mean, what do you remember from just sort of that transition into being a bishop? One, I remember just being, feeling overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Sounds normal. Just being overwhelmed because, but, realizing, you know, in my business, right, I'm really what I do in business. I just solve problems. Mm-hmm. It's all I do, you know? And so what I realized, you know, as a bishop is that I'm just, I'm, I got to be able to be good at solving problems, at helping people solve them and in a way that took the burden off of me. But it's overwhelming because you think, you think you have to do it differently, but 
problems are still problems. And just what you said, they're the same person. Yeah. Whether they're in your business or their, their problems are created the same. They need the same, a similar resolution. It's just one is about, you know, their spiritual growth. One is about their personal growth. Yeah. So it really is like what I felt was, am I really going to be able to use everything I learned and just kind of approach it with that? Or is it going to be something else? And then I kind of thought, well, I was called, he knew who I was. So I'm just mm-hmm. going to do what I know, you know, yeah. and just kind of not run it like a business, but use the same principles that I've learned in my business in my ward. Yeah. And I'm curious, you know, why, coming into a, a calling like that, a leadership role where you have so much experience in the professional world, the trainings you've gone to, the principles, the books you've read, was it difficult at times to, because you can walk in there with a lot of confidence saying like, oh, well, this is, I'm a manager, I'm a leader, I can do this. I've proven myself in the professional world. Like, how do you create space still for for that spiritual side of it with the humility side of it. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I kind of felt that thinking, oh, I got this. It's, and I can't, how hard can it be? (laughs) I have a hundred employees. Like how hard can this be? You know? Right. But like when you get in the office and someone breaks down in a different way, you know, for me in a business, I just, I fire you or, you know, whatever. If they (laughs) don't function like, yeah, you know, it's not you. It's It's me. me. It's not you. I'm (laughs) going to let you go. You know, it's a whole different aspect because mm-hmm. it's really, it's what they, you know, in that calling, it's, it's that person's entire life. It's it, it, like, it's the lifeblood. It's, it's, it's just who they are. It's their identity mm-hmm. at a higher, at a deeper, deeper level than I'm going to say just a job per se. Right. So yeah. when I remember talking to someone and hearing the pain that they were in and then hearing the pain that how the pain got started and all of these things, and I'm like, man, this is not going to be fixed with the title policy. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? You're yeah, like, yeah. I can't fix this with the, you know, and, and I can't fix this with firing somebody or I can't, like, I realized right away that I'm not going to be able to do this entirely. Like it humbled me real quick. Like I'm not yeah. going to be able to do this exactly like I do this, like I do work. Nice. Nice. And then it's good to have that dynamic to keep it humble and, and uh, you discover, you learn more, right? Yeah. 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 That's awesome. Well, you know, typically I ask individuals to write down some principles that maybe we can guide our discussion by. And there's a lot of buzzwords here that have jumped out to me like, okay, this is going to be great. And like the first one, lead with vulnerability. And this is, you know, vulnerability is sort of a buzzword these days. Like, yeah. you know, we need more vulnerability and, and everybody sort of nods their head like, yeah, yeah, sure. But like in the context of an organization, especially a volunteer church organization where we don't want to offend anybody or make it weird for anybody. So teach us about vulnerability and, and leading leading out with it. Yeah. Uh, so I'll tell you is that, you know, first off, just in regards to vulnerability, what I realized in running my company is that culture, the culture of the company is what makes the company, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm just using now a business perspective. You know, Peter Drucker said, culture eats strategy for breakfast. There's no strategy that's better than a culture, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, business, right? Tony Robbins says business is 80% psychology, 20% mechanics. And so something I walked into just thinking like, what's the culture that would promote people wanting? What's the hardest thing about being a member of the church? What's the hardest thing about being a bishop? You know, where's the pain point? Then what does the culture look like that would make that pain point softer? That would just ease it, would take it from a 10 to a seven, you know, just kind of like lower the, you know, the pain. And what I realized is that the hardest thing is, is really just admitting you've done something wrong. Right. Like yeah. that's the first principle. Right. I, I mean, faith, I guess, I guess faith, repentance. Right. 
Yeah. It's the first. It's up there. It's, it's up there. It's not one. Okay. It's number two. Okay. I got it backwards. But, you know, so in order to repent, you have to be able to recognize that something is wrong. Like you've done something that's not congruent with what is right. And nobody wants to be the only person that's wrong. Nobody wants to, you know, in a group of guys, nobody wants, or in a group, in any group, nobody wants to say, yeah, I was the only one that got the wrong answer on that test question number nine. You know, <laughs> nobody wants to say that. Yeah. So, you know, I've been reading about Brene Brown and what she talks about, how the power of vulnerability, how it creates, it creates a safe environment. Like it, it leads the way and makes it okay to not feel enough, right? That, you know, psychology says that the two problems that we have the most are, am I enough and will I ever be loved? Those are the two fundamental questions that we ask psychologically in our minds. And we spend our whole life trying to answer those questions. That's right. right. Am I enough? And am I going to be loved? And so what I realized is that if I could step out and kind of share with where I'm struggling mm -hmm. as a bishop, that it would make it okay for everybody else to share where they're struggling. And so to me, and I did it here at work. And when I would say to my employees, like, I don't have all the answers and I'm struggling at getting this done and I don't know what to do. I'm so frustrated. And I'm sad today because I feel like nothing's working out. Then what I saw at work is that people would step up or people would own, you know, what they were struggling with or what they were doing wrong. And so to me, what that looked like is in ward council, if that was the first place I really felt like that has to feel safe first, because they're the pillars, yeah. you know, ward council is, is really the, the foundation. Especially of the culture, right? Of the culture. Yeah. 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 So Sundays you know, when we'd have ward council, I would, I would talk about things where I struggled or in my marriage where I got in a fight with my wife or I yelled at my kid, you know, or I lost my temper or I would just share these things and how I felt. And I'm like, is anybody else feeling this? Who else is struggling with this? It just made it open. Yeah. And that, then it led them to, you know, share where they were and share like what they were afraid of and be able to acknowledge where they felt like, they made a mistake or they didn't know enough or they didn't feel like they were enough and couldn't do the lesson that week or, yeah. you know, it wasn't, you didn't feel guilty. You just felt like validated. Like, yeah, I feel like, I don't know if I can just do it this week. Yeah. Does that yeah. make sense? And so, and with that vulnerability, there's a few tricky parts where, you know, people always say, I don't want to, I don't want to overshare, right? Yeah, I, yeah, we don't yeah. want the overshare, but also, you know, sometimes it's like as a leader, my life is going pretty good. Like, I mean, but you know, I could share, maybe I snapped at my kids, but another person's like dying of cancer. And so they sort of see it as sort of like pretend vulnerability. Like, well, you don't even know what, what pain looks like, mm -hmm. you know, uh, any, yeah. any, any advice on how to help that? Yeah. Like I remember one on a fifth Sunday, I talked about how I struggled in my relationship with my parents mm. and how it held me back and how like, even it was holding me back currently that I hadn't really resolved it yet. And saying like, I feel guilty for it. I feel, and I said, but I'm not trying to make it right. I'm not trying to, you know, be a victim in it. But the fact is I feel this way and I'm, I'm okay. Like the fact is I'm still trying yeah. and I'm okay, but I don't have to feel like I'm not enough or I'll never be loved or never accepted or I'm not a good person just because I struggle with that. I do struggle. And the more, what I found is the more I was able to acknowledge it, then the easier it came for me to start seeing what I could do to be better. Mm-hmm. But if I was shameful about it or couldn't talk about it or felt like I was less of a person about it or something, a secret I had to hide, then I could never get to seeing changes I needed to make yeah. and that I still need to make. Does yeah. that make sense? So yeah. it's, it's kind of like the reason why we confess our sins. There are certain sins that we, we confess all our sins, right? Yeah. Some of them, 
to a bishop, some of them, you know, some of them to a, to a, an ecclesiastical leader, but all of them to God. And vulnerability is a form of confessing. It's a form of just saying, I get it. Like I'm, you don't have to share your worst, you know, but you know, but you have to share enough to where people see that it's real. Mm-hmm. But that's why I wanted them to feel like the struggle's real. I struggle. That makes sense. Yeah. 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 And we all have sort of those wounds. Either we, they may be in our past. Like you said, it may be with your parents that have been having a long time. Yeah. It could be something that happened this week, but to sort of find opportunities to, to take it just far enough where the, where they feel the realness of it. Right. Yeah. And then, and then that perpetuates the culture of others doing that. That's right. Yeah. 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 Anything else you'd, you'd recommend as far as like perpetuating like the, a culture of being more vulnerable? And Yeah. I would just say that, you know, when there's kind of just giving examples, like when it showed up, like when vulnerable, like, so I would talk about it. And then, you know, when it would show up, like, for example, in, in ward council, it would show up. Someone would say something and I would say that, thank you for being vulnerable. Like, mm. and what I want to say is sometimes people feign vulnerability. They'll say, I'm going to be vulnerable. Here's a picture of when I was fat. You know, like that's not vulnerable. Like, but when they're like, I'm vulnerability, right, is a risk of being hurt. Mm. So it's not like, hey, look, see this? I was fat and now I'm skinny. Yeah. There's no risk in that because yeah. you won. You get, end, you you get accolades before. That's yeah. right. That's yeah, yeah. right. So in the risk of saying, look, I'm fat and I'm still, I'm getting fatter. Mm. I don't know what to do. Yeah. You know, so when that showed up, whether it was in vulnerability, whether, whether it was in ward council or in my priest quorum, or wherever I saw it, then I would always recognize with, I'd bring it back to ward council or I'd bring it back to a group and say, did you recognize how you felt when so-and-so said this? That was vulnerability. Hmm. That wasn't like, I'm having a hard time, you know, complaining or like wanting, you know, sympathy from somebody, but just saying, I don't know what the answer is and here I am. Mm -hmm. You know, so I would point it out. And so, so they could see it, what it looked like when it actually happened and then how they felt when they experienced it. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's that's really helpful for the leaders to assume that role of, I'm not just supposed to get vulnerable, but I'm also supposed to point it out, right? And, yeah. and maybe it's that individual stands up to give a testimony and it was like, she went someplace that uh, most risk. people don't, right? And yeah. for the leader to stand up and say, hey, thank you. That's I, right. I'd love to hear more of others that maybe had could relate to that. Right? Yeah, that's right. It's like, uh, so, you know, an example, this happened a couple of years into my calling, but I had this priest, we had, you know, like 15, 16 kids in the priest corps. And had this one priest that not athletic, mm-hmm. a little overweight. And on priest quorum in the camp, he said this, as we were just sharing, what did we learn today? He said this, he goes, I'm the least athletic person in this group. And anytime we do something hard, I'm always the last person to make it to the top. Right. Wow. So, yeah, I get him. so he says that and like all the kids are just like teary eyed because he's acknowledging where he's not, he's not trying to gain their sympathy. He's just saying the facts. He goes, and. And he said, I'm always the last one whenever we do something hard. But what I noticed, I'm never alone. And he just cried. And like the the most athletic kid in the group, you know, jumps up, runs around the fire, just hugs this kid. Then everybody just hugs him, you know? Wow. And like, he wasn't doing that for attention. But what he wanted everybody to know is that like, I know I'm a pain. Like, I know I can... (laughs) drag us down and I know I'm loved and that's enough for me. Yeah. And that's why I show up every day. You know, that, when I told that story, I mean, it, people get it. And that's unity, right? That's unity. Yeah. Yeah. I often talk about the, the unity pizza parties where somebody raises their hand in the elders corner and says, we need more unity in it. All right. Uh, let's have a pizza party as yeah. if this is yeah. going to do it. But that's like right. creating these scenarios where 
somebody can like open their heart and like lay their soul out and be like, look at it, you know, I, right. and, and I, and I feel love like that really unifies a group. That's right. Yeah, yeah. that's right. That's awesome. Yeah. Anything else I'm intrigued, you know, you mentioned the priest quorum, like, especially on the youth level when it comes to vulnerability, because especially that generation and, you know, young adults, I mean, vulnerability and authenticity is crucial to their faith experience. So anything you would suggest for a leader to stimulate more vulnerability in a youth setting? Yeah. Like, so once in, and priest quorum, and I just say priest quorum, but you know, I, w- I would think back like when I was a kid, a priest, and I remember I hated, I mean, I followed all the rules, but I hated it. Like I hated all the things or being, did you do this? And did you do like, I hated that. And so it was stuff like that. that I would say that as a bishop, I'd say, hey, you know what? When I was a junior in high school, I hated when my mom asked me if I read the scriptures, I hated it. Hmm. I said, how many of you guys hate it? And anybody feel it? I hated it. And it's good. You guys got to hate it. And so like vulnerability to me is like, is appreciating and understanding their world at the time. And then really remembering what you were really like, not what you've, you know, I was the captain of the football team. I swear I threw that thing 80 yards if I threw it, you know, (laughs) not the glory days, but like where you really struggle. And so I would bring that up in preschool and just say, anybody struggle? Like when your parents say, they check in on you, like, are you reading your scriptures? Who struggles with that? I do. I hated it. Mm. They're like, Bishop, you did. I did. I hate it when my mom does, you know, I, yeah. go, I know. Yeah, tell me about it, right? Um, so then yeah. I'm like, tell me about it. What, what do you hate? What is it about it? I know why I hated it. Why do you hate it? Mm-hmm. And they're like, I hate it because of this. I'm like, I get it. I'm like, now what would have to happen to make it change? Like, what, what would make it, what would you have to know about your mom when she asks you the question? What would you really have to know about the core of why she's asking for you to go, mom, I got it. Or mom, I'm okay. Mm-hmm. What would you have to, you know, so then I was like walking him through it, like something, you know, things that I wish I had someone walk me through. And I'm like, how are we going to get better at this? Because we got to get better at it, mm-hmm. you know? So I would think back when I was a kid, just what I struggled with. How many of you guys feel comfortable? Like if you did something wrong and you had to come to the bishop to talk, I avoided the bishop for months before I talked to him. Like I ain't talking to him. I remember like, <laughs> and I'm like, I mean, how many of you, what, what would make you avoid it? You know, what would make you, then they would say it. And I'm like, what would make you want to just come running to me when something happened? What would you have to believe that was going to happen? And they would tell me just because I could walk them through like what I felt when, when kids, when people know that you literally experienced the emotions that they experienced, then they're like, Hey, you're on my team. Mm -hmm. And this is what I need. You know what I mean? So it was vulnerability is, is really acknowledging what your struggle was. Mm-hmm. Like I would do that with kids yeah. and it was amazing. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. And, and one thing I think will come up throughout the, our, our conversation is that there may be a bishop out there that hears that or a priest quorum advisor and think, I don't know how to do that. The reality is, is doing that. It's a skill and it takes practice. That's right. right? It is a skill. But it's worth trying and That's jumping right. in. It doesn't require a a 10 week course to figure out how to do that. You just have to sort of step in and be vulnerable. That's the, that's right. Vulnerability is like, there's no script to it. There's no, it's just, it's being able to say something saying, I don't know where to go. I don't know what, what it's going to come next, but having faith, you know, Nephi, right. Was vulnerable by saying, I'm going to go out the city walls. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I know if I go out there, God's going to show up. Like he's going to, I'm going to be led. He has to, because I'm not going back to the tent of my father until I get these blades. So he has to. So in, in a similar fashion, honestly, like I would lead a conversation. I would come and say, guys, I struggled with this as a kid. Are you guys struggling with that? And I'm like, I don't know where this is going, but I'm just going to ask questions. Like, 
see where it takes us and what I can apply. Yeah. You know, like, how does that relate to Nephi? They're like, well, we just go out and we just try to, you know, so we would just talk about it as opposed to just a standard story. Again, I know there's skill behind it for me, but, you know, but Brene Brown said it best when she just said empathy and vulnerability have no script. It's a willingness to step into the darkness with someone and just say, I feel it too, or I have felt that too. And I don't know what to do. Let's talk about how we feel. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And and really when it comes from the leader, the guy with the title, the bishop, right. it like magnifies the dynamic. That's right. Huge. Right. And so, that's right. And really helps. And so the leader doing that, that goes a long way. Yeah, that's right. And anything else with the vulnerability that uh, we haven't touched on? Yeah. I would say lastly, when a kid says something, especially youth, when they say something, don't correct it. Hmm. Like, for example, yeah. I had this kid at, in preschool, my first year, we're talking about chastity and how, you know, God made us and that from, you know, you have a drive, you have a sexual drive, right? Like the law of chastity, you have it in you. And the purpose of that is to get married and have a family and this, and but you have to keep it in check, mm-hmm. you know? And, and these are the, these are the parameters, right? This is it. And this kid raised his hand and said, can I ask a question? And he, I said, yeah. And he says, is it bad if I think about having sex with my future wife? Bishop, what do you think? And I'm like, but the fact right, that right. he asked the question, like every kid was like, oh. I mean, it was dead quiet. Uh-huh. I said, you're supposed to. That's supposed to drive you to want to. I said, but the problem is it's not supposed to, you know, for you to specifically think about, oh, I want. I said, but you to say, I can't wait to have sex when I'm married with my wife. Yeah, that's okay. That's that's right. Uh-huh. Like rather than because, it, because it's kibosh, within the covenant. Yeah. It's yeah, like, yeah. yeah, you're right. You should say that because that's where you have it. Mm-hmm. That's what the covenant is. That's the law. You're right. You should say, I can't wait till I can have sex with my wife. That's right. 100%. And he literally, like he just, his shoulder, he's about, I just can't wait till I get married. (laughs) You know, and everybody laughed, but creating that vulnerability, like, and that kid goes on, serves a mission, gets married, you know, married, all the stuff, like the right things, because he wasn't shamed for saying, for asking, or, you know, for bringing that up. Does that make sense? Yeah. And that's, that's an interesting dynamic because of course, you don't want to be, you don't want to say, yeah, everybody in the room, you should take 10 minutes every day and think about having sex with your future yeah, spouse, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. But you also didn't bring, like, there's nothing wrong with asking that. And wow, isn't that, isn't it beautiful that, that this will take place for you in that, in that sacred bond? Yeah. Right? And I'm like, when you think about it, I said, when it shows up, not that you try to, but when it does show up, does it make you like, are you, ex- you're excited to get married, right? Yeah. Me too. I was too. I couldn't wait. Mm-hmm. I couldn't wait. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's a real thing. But it's something that we think, you know, you got you got to keep within parameters, right? Yeah, but, yeah. but like, but you got to, but it's okay to acknowledge it. Yeah. The minute if I would have said, "Well, that's not an appropriate question," then he's like, "Well, what other questions do I have that are not appropriate?" I, since I don't know what are and what are not, I just won't ask any. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And that's and then not it goes silent. Yeah. Because we sometimes we put so much emphasis on that moment of like, if I don't correct his thinking pattern right now, this could get out of control. Yeah. Right? And a lot of times what I've learned is when they like asking, when, actually, when he asked the question, my response was, what do you guys think? That's a great question. Who wants to know the answer to it? I do. You know, everybody's yeah. like, I want to know. I'm like, why do you want to know the answer? So now I'm just like, uh, does that make sense? Yeah. Like, but just acknowledging it. Yeah. That's awesome. And this kind of, we're sort of spilling over the next principle, which these flow well, like with vulnerability, there's this like this concept of creating safety. I mean, just yeah. as you talked about, you're being vulnerable, you're allowing him to be vulnerable, but when they do, you automatically create safety. Like yeah. this is a safe place for you to share that side of you. Yeah, that's right. 
so let me say this about safety and vulnerabilities, but kind of maybe backtrack for a minute. But mm-hmm. what I realized is that there were certain, you know, certain skills, certain attributes, certain, you know, certain dynamics in a culture that needed to be present, right? To to get the best, you know, to create the best culture, to create the people who want to do stuff and who want to show up to church or who want to fulfill their callings. And and in order to do that, the other thing that I did was I picked like, I had like five books. I had all our ward council read that weren't church books. Like mm-hmm. we read Dare to Lead by Brene Brown, you know, and I remember someone saying, can we read this? And I'm like, well, Doctor and Covenant says, seek ye out the best books. Like we're <laughs> like, this book is going to teach you how to do it, mm-hmm. you know? And so they, you know, so it was one, me ex- trying to uh, make it an example, two, pointing it out. And the three, like, you got to read about it because I can't teach it well enough. I said, everything that I've learned as a business owner where I got really good, I had to learn from the best who was the best at it. And I just read a couple books. Mm-hmm. And I just got better at it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so we read several books and talked about it every week in Ward Council for 15 minutes. What did nice. you guys learn this past week? You know, chapter three or whatever. And, uh-huh. and so they got to see it how I saw it and they could start to apply what they read, what they saw, what they experienced, and then said, oh, it gave them confidence to try stuff, new stuff. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And so, and I sometimes get into the nitty gritty details here is like you would say this week we're reading chapter three and four and next week we're going to talk 15 right. minutes about it. That's right. Yeah. So yeah. Little book so, club happening that's in Ward right. Council. Yeah. Having a Ward Council. We're going to, I'm like everybody buy, the, you know, uh, The Power of Vulnerability, Brene Brown, like you can't buy the book, but you're going to get it on Audible. If you don't have it on Audible, <laughs> like you can use my account or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You, we're going to listen to it. We're going to, I want you, I want to hear what you learned from it. I want you to find what Christ-like attributes showed up in that book. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was powerful, honestly. Cool. Any uh, quick recommendations of what books were, seemed to go well in Ward Council? Yeah. So Dare to Lead, Power of Vulnerability, you know, that was, so um, Growth Mindset by Carol Dweck. Mm. That was, that, that book, honestly, Growth Mindset, it helped everybody to see that, not that it's okay to sin, but just like failure, failure is not okay in business, a business, you know, business. And I would say this, I'm like business, a business doesn't work because it fails. <laughs> Microsoft, you know, even though we think micro, you know, Microsoft does fail a lot, but like, you know, uh, these companies, like if the company is a failure, then we wouldn't be experiencing their product. Right. But we, they do have to fail to get the product, you know, yeah. we, we do have to. And so Carol DeWick gives like this incredible explanation of how failure is part of the process of actually becoming confident and having the the courage to act greater than what you think you are, you know, mm-hmm. to step into these moments. And what was interesting, I would, you know, we'd say read chapters one and two or whatever, and they would come back and I'd say, how does the gospel, how does sin apply to this? Like we would talk about how the book explained it. Yeah. Then I'd say, now how does that apply for sin? And literally people, like light bulbs went on. They're like, the person doesn't understand the principle and that's why they sinned. I'm like, that's right. Sin is just unrighteous way to meet a need. Everybody's just trying to get a need met. Uh-huh. And they found an unrighteous way to do it. And our job is to teach them the righteous way to do it. The way that God wants them to meet the need. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Sex before marriage, not the right way, but they're getting a need, a need met. Yeah. If it fills a need, it's going to get met. Yeah. People get their needs met. I'm like, so now let's teach them how to do it right and why they would want to. Yeah. It was powerful. That book rocked their world. That's cool. And, and I think like a traditional 
leader may hear that and think, well, no, we need to get them in the scriptures and stay there. But oftentimes these books, I know in my own life, they've propelled me into the scriptures. That's right. I read that, like we read that book when people would say, I got to read, you know, on chapter four, Carol says this and this, and that goes right along with third Nephi chapter four, you know, 18 where Jesus said, I'm like, that's it. Yep. Right. That's it. Like, this is so amazing. Like, and everybody with on that book specifically, because I talked about the, the path to greatness. Yeah. Which is through failure, right? Uh-huh. Like we have to descend to ascend. Yeah. And so everybody was like, this book is really like about the gospel. I'm like, I know. <laughs> growth mindset. God had a growth mindset. I'm going to send you away from me. You're going to have to figure it out on your own. You're going to make all these failures, but I have a way to bring you back. But you got to trust it. You got to trust the process. You know, that's what Carol Dweck says. Yeah. You know? So cool. It's, and, it's and, amazing. And the reality is like these authors or researchers, like they go out and they research these things and they find truth. Like God That's right. inspires them or get, uh, leads them to truth. Truth is truth and truth comes from God. And then sometimes we we engage with this truth in a different context, like a book, and and then say, okay, now go find that same truth in the scriptures. And then suddenly it just comes pouring out. That's right. Like, and they, they yeah. get a whole different meaning to it. They're like, yeah. oh, I get it. That, that totally makes sense. Like vulnerability of Nephi going, like, how is that vulnerability? Like, Oh yeah, that's it. Like, and how is it growth mindset? Well, they failed. They failed. Nephi didn't say, right? Laban and Lemuel had a fixed mindset. Uh-huh. We've tried. He can kill us. Let's just go home. Uh-huh. Fixed mindset, growth mindset. But have we done everything? Have we actually, has any of our efforts relied on the Lord? They have it. Hmm. So we need to go, we need to try that one before we go back. Yeah. yeah. Does that make sense? Right. Like that's it. Yeah. So going back I don't know if this, that was a huge left turn from as far as creating safety. Yeah, but, but, but creating safety is the vulnerability when vulnerability help people to feel safe. Yeah. Right. When I was, you know, or created that vulnerability when someone else was vulnerable and then they got validated, then everybody felt safe. And I'll give you an example of the safety is that we had a situation where a guy in our situation, ward, there's he deal with guy in the ward, and, and actually, I, I've actually talked to that. The people involved in this, they said, oh, yeah, you can tell the story. I don't even okay. care. But so a guy in a ward got up and sang his testimony. Sang it. Sang it. Okay. Literally. I'm going to sing I've been in a song, few of those. Uh-huh. And he sang the testimony. And then. And it wasn't he sang a hymn like he, just he wrote the words. Right. He just sang a song. That's uh-huh. right. I can't remember the details of what he sang, but it was like. But the second time he gets up and he says, honey, will you come up and sing with me? Right. Well, it's a choir. Okay. <laughs> it's a choir. Right. But he's singing. And she was like, no. You know, and he's like, no, it's Okay. So he comes up, they sing it, and it's a song he had written. So they sing the song, and they sit down right after church, right after the three hour, when it was three hours, uh-huh. back in the old days when it right. was three hours, uphill both ways. But we went back toward council, and I felt this impression to ask the question, ask everybody how they felt about Brother So-and-So's testimony, right? Uh-huh. There's a lot to it, but so I just started to my right, like, what do you feel? First person said, I thought it's wrong. Somebody needs to tell him you can't sing a testimony. I was totally uncomfortable. <laughs> the next person said, you know what? I actually kind of liked it. The next person's like, I'm indifferent. Either way, he could sing it or just say it, whatever. Uh-huh. The next person, I loved it. I thought it was so amazing. Did you see how he looked at his wife when he sang his words? Like, I wish he did it every fast and testimony meeting. So here yeah. we have, what are there, like 12, 14 people in board council sure. depending? Literally. Half said, absolutely not correct him. Half then, you know, half said that. 40% said, it was amazing. And the other 10% said, uh, it could go either way. Mm-hmm. Now, and what I felt is 
for people, when they expressed their opposing opinions, everybody validated the other person. They just said, I, yeah, I see why you said it. Like, yeah, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. I see why you think they sh- he shouldn't do it. But what, I, and I will tell you this, like what the impression, what I felt Holy Ghost say to me is, uh, notice how safe everybody felt to say exactly what was in their heart. Hmm. Nobody hesitated. And it wasn't like, uh, well, can I, you know, uh, can I be honest? Nobody said that. They just said, uh, I think he shouldn't do it. And I think somebody needs to stop him. Great. What do you think? I think it's totally fine for them to have that. And then they said, Bishop, what are we going to do? I said, well, I'm going to take all of the counsel I got today and I'm going to think about it. Mm-hmm. I'll make a decision later. But thank you so much for everything you guys said. Like that was yeah, It wasn't about the testimony at that point. Yeah, no, it was, no, it was just training like, that vulnerability. Yeah, yeah. and every, it felt safe to say it. Then the next week I asked them, like, guys, how did you feel? When you said it, they're like, I didn't feel like I'd hold back. I didn't think I was going to get like this, you know, the mean eye or whatever, the stink <laughs> eye for, you know, saying that, like, because I said the opposite thing. But when began, we just recognized it. And that was powerful. Like that, at that moment, that was a pivotal moment for our ward council. It, it changed. Everybody was like, we love each other. I love coming to ward council. This is the greatest meeting ever, you know, because loved, valid, they felt safe. They could be vulnerable and they knew they were going to be loved and they knew they were going to grow. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. That's awesome. And creating that safety in any other areas or places that, uh, as far as creating safety that come to mind, experiences, stories, or. Yeah. So when I would have it, uh, yeah. So I had this, so for example, I'll skip on to my, you know, I, I looked at like, there were six things, there were six attributes, uh-huh. right? Six mindsets of the culture. And, and the third one was they have to have a growth mindset. We have yeah. to realize we're going to grow. But so when I would experience something, like I would be, I would interview somebody and have this great conversation one-on-one. Then I would ask the person, do you mind if I share this? Like not the, what we learned. Can I share what we learned and what you said? And I'd say, now let me tell you why, because this is going to teach the ward council of the value of safety. Like, have you ever felt this safe to say this to a bishop? No. Tell me why you felt it. They would explain it. Then I'd say, can I share what you felt, what you said? Because they need to understand it. They're like, yes, this is the first time I've felt really safe. Like I didn't feel like I was going to be looked at differently because I you know, said this. So like taking the person's personal, you know, taking their experience and getting their permission to share, to be vulnerable. I'm like, do you want to be vulnerable? Do you want to help the ward to grow? I do. Mm-hmm. Can I share your story? It would be so powerful. Or would you give a talk on it? Yeah. Would you talk about your struggle with whatever and talk about what we experienced? I would love to, if that would help the kids or if that would help somebody else in the ward, I would do it. I'm like, there's so many people. So we, does that make sense? Yeah. So it was like. And th- these are just ways, like simple ways you're stimulating that culture of vulnerability and safety. And yeah. you're, you're offering, you're inviting them to share. Yeah. So, yeah. so here's the, to me, like this was the quintessential story of, of like safety. I had this kid who was the, our priest quorum first, first assistant. Like he was amazing. And I'm sitting in his Eagle court of honor or his, a board of review. Mm-hmm. And the guy says, hey, do you plan on going on a mission? And he goes, no. It blew my mind. I'm like, what? He's the best kid in the whole quorum. And he's not going to go on a mission. Like, I'm, I'm screwing up. If this, this kid is amazing. Uh-huh. Like, and he's not going to go. So this was the story. So I met with him and I said, hey, you're not going to go on a mission? And he goes, no, I just don't feel like it's for me. Hmm. And I said, I totally get it. It may not be for everybody. I'm like, a mission isn't the covenant pathway. Like you don't have to go on a mission for exaltation. It's not the temple. Like 
it's a way to learn. It's a way to be Christ-like. It's a way to learn things that you would never otherwise learn. But a mission isn't a saving ordinance right. for the other people. But, you know, and I said, so I get it. If you don't want to go on a mission, that's fine. Tell me, do you want to grow spiritually? And he goes, I totally do. I'm like, well, I only know how to grow by going on a mission. That's what I did when I was your age. What's your plan? So I just made it safer to be okay. Yeah. I'm like, do you want to grow spiritually? Yes. I'm like, I'm like, I know you do. So what's your plan? What do you want to do? And he's like, I don't have a plan. So when he said this, and I, I asked him, I'm like, well, do you want to make one? And he goes, yeah. I said, well, why don't we meet like once a month or maybe twice a month for 30 minutes? I'll assign you some talks to read. You read him, learn from it. Then you're going to come and tell me what you learned. He's like, I would love to do that. I'm like, okay, that's how you're going to grow. You don't have to go on a mission. And he's like, can I tell my mom you said that? <laughs> I said, well, yeah, you can, I, I don't care if you go. It's not a saving ordinance, but I understand that you should go. Mm -hmm. I think you should go, but I get it. Anyway, so when I had that dialogue, I asked him, I said, hey, can I share what we're doing with the ward council? Like, so they understand that like the covenant pathway, like a mission doesn't, it, it's not a covenant. Does that make sense? Like right. it's yeah. not. And he goes, oh, totally. So when I shared that with the ward council, they were like, Wow. He's still willing to meet with you. I'm like, why? Because he feels safe. I'm like, that's right. Because he feels safe to grow spiritually with me. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. And and I would imagine the the first two talks you didn't assign him were about why missions are awesome talk. No, right? I just like, said, yeah, why I want to still grow, why I want to grow spiritually. Yeah. I had him teach uh, in the priest quorum, like why growing spiritually is important because he believed that. Mm -hmm. So like, I just took what he believed and I just followed it, yeah. right? Like. Just follow. Let's it. go there rather go than there. where I want to go. Yeah. That's right. Like, right, right. Like trying to control the situation. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and even like, like passive aggressively control it. Right. Yeah, like yeah. Yeah. Manipulating here on the edges so that maybe we're pushing him lightly towards a mission. That's right. right. That, That's that right. would not be helpful. Yeah. And I told him, I said, I have no interest of coercing you. I have no interest of doing, it. I just want you to grow. And the minute you feel like you don't have to meet with me anymore, that's fine. Mm -hmm. I'll just know that you don't want to grow with me. I'm not going to be a facilitator to help you grow. Yeah. You know, and that doesn't mean you don't want to grow. Maybe yeah. you're growing elsewhere. I said, right? So it's just whatever no you judgment. want to do. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, we met for a year, and we just had this great experience. You know, and and a year later, I woke up on a Saturday morning and got this inspiration. Like I heard, you know, the Holy Ghost said to me, "Tell him it's time to ask me if he should go on a mission." And actually, so he told me I could tell this. So I actually had him give a. We gave a like a fireside for a ward about his whole experience. Oh, cool. So anyway, I go to meet with him the next day, which was Sunday. And he goes, and we're talking. And I said, you know, I'm just summing it up. But, he, you know, I just said, Clay, I don't even want to ask you this question, but like, because I don't want you to think I led you for a year, you yeah. know, meeting to sit there and try to coerce you. To get, I go, so, but I can't deny that yesterday morning when I woke up, Heavenly, like I received inspiration that like the Holy Ghost told me, Heavenly Father told me through the Holy Ghost that I need to ask you, to ask him if you're supposed to go on a mission. And he looked down, like immediately when I said he looked down, like he was, you know, like shameful. And he looked down and he started crying. And anyway, he looks up, looks at me and goes, Bishop, I'm going to go on a mission. And I was confused. I literally said to him, I said, Clay, I, said, Clay, I, don't, did, I don't know if I understood you. Like, did you say you're going to go on a mission? He goes, yeah. And I, I was like, why? What, like, what happened? He goes, well, you told me God told you to tell me to ask him. So when you said it, I just, I just said the prayer right then. I'm like, you said it right now? He goes, yeah, I just said it right now. And I just felt that he's like, I'm going to go on a mission. Can I go? I got to go tell my mom. And he literally goes running out the door and we hug and, and he goes on a mission and like, 
when he came back, I had him tell that whole story to all the youth. You know, he always says, it's okay if you don't want to go on a mission, but don't give up on your spiritual growth, right? What a message. That's powerful. Don't give up on it. You never know. Yeah. And it was amazing. Yeah. And again, you're not having him speak to the youth so that they'll go on a mission. That's right. It's the the principle. The principle is don't give up on your spiritual growth. You don't know who you're going to become. Yeah. You know? So that was like, to me, so I shared that story, right? As it went on with the ward council and I'm like, that safety, when Mm. they'll tell me, when they say, I don't want to follow the rule, but I'll follow it as much as I can with you, if you'll help me. Yeah. Yeah. Like he felt safe to say anything. Yeah. And I want to underscore this principle of like, what you're modeling is you're like bringing the bishop's office to the ward council, you know, with every permission and in appropriate ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And because I remember like I'd been in Bishop Ricks and on ward councils before I was a bishop and it sort of, I sort of felt like I kind of get, have an idea of what that calling's like. And then I was the bishop and what I witnessed behind the, the bishop's office door, I'm like, oh, oh, this is like a whole nother level. Yeah, it's nothing right? like you ever thought it right. was. Yeah. But then I also felt like even with my wife, you come home, you just have this like, I literally witnessed a miracle tonight. And yeah. you go home and you're just like, I, I can't, I, I can't, can't talk. you're right. So finding an avenue to That's communicate right. these things, this is, uplifts the ward and That's makes right. it a, you don't keep it all to yourself. That's right. right? Well, well, so the example I'd say is like, you know, if we said we couldn't tell the adulterous story. Uh-huh. Where Jesus wrote in the sand. Right. If she said, don't tell my story. I don't want anybody to know it. Oh, man. What would we be missing out on? Oh, I mean, that story's saved lives. I mean, Saved lives, yeah, right? Yeah. So I'm like, your story. If Alma the Younger said, dad, do not write this in that book. If everybody's going to read it, don't say I was the vilest of sinners. I will hate you forever. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. But like, we need those stories because it's real. They're vulnerable. Yeah. And, we, and then we feel safe. With Because the safety we feel is like we look at their experience and we think, man, if Jesus literally turned all these guys around, or like sent, you know, had said something where they would all leave this adulterous, like she was just found in it. So like, there's no way she repented yet. You know, there's yeah. no way this happened. And he did that. Oh my gosh. What would he do for me? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's like. And the, the, again, a part, I want to be extremely clear. It's not like you, it was all in, you know, getting that permission, how you shared it. It's not like right. you stood up and said. You know, Ben, uh, you know, he's addicted to porn right now. He yeah, said, uh, he said right. I could, right. You don't, you that's don't right. have to go into those details, but you can share the miracle that happened, the progress that the principle, like the, you know, that's spiritual right. progress, like that's, that's right. the principle. So, yeah. so and the evidence of that, like I had a young man who had a, you know, pornography addiction, overcame it. And when he was going on his mission for, as a farewell, he said, Bishop, like, can I talk about that? I had an addiction, please. He's like, you, you made it safe for me to talk about. And if people don't know that you can be safe and talk about it, they would be stuck. And I would never be going on a mission. He's like, can I at least say I had an addiction? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I guess if you say you had an addiction, we're all going to kind of know, <laughs> you know, you know. And, and so I actually called the stake president. I'm like, I guess this is right. And he goes, no, it's fine. Like he can say that, yeah. say it. And he got out there, cried, said it. And everybody's like, man, this kid's amazing. Yeah. They don't ever forget about those sacraments. No, they don't. Yeah. Like, can change their lives, right? Because yeah. they feel safe and they realize, like, it's okay to acknowledge that you're struggling. Yeah. And they witness the divine. I mean, and they witness it. Yeah. And they, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Anything else with the, as far as the growth, like creating a growth mindset culture? And, um, and these are probably like three hour podcasts on yeah, their own. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, yeah. So, can I share one more story on yeah, that? Yeah, please. Uh, so, so that was, so the safety was, you know, like, Clay, when he came out and just said, I don't want to go on a mission and all this stuff. And, mm-hmm. and uh, so I had this kid who his whole life was addicted to pornography. 
since he was 12 and he was 18 and he came to me and was like, I want to go on a mission. And he's like, I'm addicted to porn. I've, I've looked at it since I was 12 or 11, I think actually. He's like, I don't know how to stop, you know, all this stuff, right? Anyway, so we sent him to Sons of Helaman, like to get extra help. Mm-hmm. I was meeting with them and all this stuff. And he had this amazing, you know, experience. And and um, because I felt safe to acknowledge everything that he ever thought and all this stuff. And, and when people feel like they can be vulnerable and they feel safe, it speeds recover. It speeds change. It mm-hmm. speeds up change. So he comes to me and he's been doing great. And he sits down in my office and he goes, and I could tell something's wrong because he's just, you know, head down, just looking down. And I'm like, hey, man, what's what's going on? He's like, I don't even want to be here tonight. And I'm like, this kid loves me. I love this kid. What's the matter yeah. here? And I'm like, all right, tell me what's going on. And he goes, I looked at pornography and masturbated last Thursday. And I said, oh, my gosh, did you really? That's awesome. And he goes, just like. You know, in disgust, like what, like, why would you say that? And I said, no, seriously, that's awesome. High five. Was it Thursday? He goes, Bishop, leave me alone. Like, why are you saying this? I go, no, high five. Like, was it Thursday? I just need to know. Was it Thursday, Wednesday? Don't, don't." he goes, no, yeah, it was, no, it was Thursday for sure. I'm like, dude, high five. He's like, why are you even saying this? And I'm like, I'm not going to tell you why until you do it. High five. And I stood up and like, (laughs) give me this high five. And he's like, okay. And just, you know, reluctantly, high five. He's like, why'd you say that? I said, because for seven years, you have never gone six weeks and three days without looking at pornography or masturbation. I'm like, we need to celebrate it. We now know that you can go six weeks and two or three days. This is amazing. I said, I promise if Jesus was here, he would high five you because that's the best you've ever done. I said, that's what a growth mindset is. You celebrate the accomplishments. What what you've never done before. And that's what you just did. You've never in your life done this. And he just cried. Wow. Cried. He never came back to my office for that. Oh, and I said, I think you can go 10. I think you can go 10 weeks this time. Six. I think you can go eight or 10. Let's, let's set the goal. You want to go eight or 10? He's like, I might even be able to do 12. I'm like, <laughs> perfect. Let's do 12. And he's like, and that was it for him. Yeah. Like his progress was championed. And that is what people need to know is that you love the sinner. <laughs> you just love them and you champion their progress in overcoming the sin. Like yeah. you don't have to say, and don't love the sin. You just love the sinner. Yeah. That's powerful. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, so good. And, and I love the connection to the growth mindset because in that scenario, the limited mindset's like, okay, well, we got to stop this. All right. Uh, well, what, what do we got to do? Let's go back yeah. to your, your routines and yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. internet filters or whatever, but stay in that growth mindset saying, no, this is progress, right? Like we're going somewhere. Yeah. I said, everything we've been doing is working. I said, it's working. Yeah. So you just had a hiccup. Like, what do you think it was? I'm like, it couldn't have been that much because you've gone six weeks. You have never done it before. Yeah. yeah. He goes, "Uh, I think it was just the one, like, uh," and then he just immediately said, I'm like, great, dude, you got this. This is over. There's no way you go six weeks and two days and on the first time and you're not going to get this, you know, licked. And he's like, yeah, you're right. I I think I can do 12. (laughs) I'm like, okay. That's so amazing. Awesome. That's awesome. Uh, next one is for creating a vision. This is one of my my sweet spots here. So yeah. let's let's get the Louis the Louis knowledge here. Yeah. So I think like vision to me as so my vision. So like when I was a bishop, you know, every bishop, I think every church leader, you know, when you get called, like every prophet has this theme of their service, right? Yeah. Like temples or Book of Mormon or whatever it is, right? And the same thing, like. 
I think every bishop, every leader, especially my, my experience has been when I was young men's president, because I was, I was that for two years before I was bishop. So I went from young men's president to bishop. But when I became a bishop, I had this vision that my service was going to be about building other leaders. Hmm. It wasn't just going to help them, but like to build a foundation of people that understood doctrine, mm -hmm. not culture, you know, <laughs> doctrine. And so my vision was, and it was day one when I got called, like I, I knew it, that my job was to teach people how to lead and to give them the skills so they can lead, you know? Mm -hmm. And so if, you know, they say a picture is worth a thousand words, right? So when somebody has an image of what it looks like to fulfill their role, whatever that is, and their calling or wh whatever their life looks like, that image in their mind gives clarity of how they're going to act to get there. And if you don't have a vision and you're just checking boxes, uh, you'll never get there by following the rules of the handbook. You'll never accomplish anything great. Mm -hmm. it, it won't be fulfilling in mm -hmm. any way. So like every parent has a vision of what their kid, what they want their kid, you know, to be, right? So if your vision, especially I'm talking about bishops here today, like, so if a bishop just has the vision of, I'm going to do all these things, I'm going to come and do my appointments and I'm going to come and do this. And they don't have a vision of what their legacy is or when they leave, like what change did they affect in the lives of the people? Then they're just box checkers. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, the law of Moses. We're just going to, how much toilet paper can I use today? You know, like. It's just that. But when you have a, a vision of what it looks like, that governs your actions. It's kind of like when President Nelson, and I loved it when he said it, when he said, it's not about what you can or can't do on Sunday. The question is, what sign are you going to give to God? What's your sign? I mean, isn't, didn't it make it clear? You're like, oh, I know what Sabbath day is about for me. I know exactly what it is. And you didn't need a list of to do's and don'ts. Yeah. And so to me, I'm like, I looked at when he, when President Nelson said that for me, it was, yeah, this is my sign. Like I left people when I leave, the people that served under me are going to be better leaders when they show up next time. They're going to say, I'm better at this. I want to do it again because I was, I learned so much. Mm -hmm. And if I did this calling again, and I think part of why that came to me is that I had been young men's president three times. Oh, this wow. is, so before I got called back in 2012, I'd been it twice and I'm like, and then, you know, and then I get called again. And I remember I knew because our ward split. And I'm like, I don't want to be in this. They're going to call me being young men's president again. <laughs> and I told my wife, I'm like, I don't want to do it again, ever. I was terrible at it. I wasn't good at it. I don't want to do it again. And uh, I, I actually even, I, I told this and I, I prayed. And I'm like, Heavenly Father, if, you get, if I get this calling, I'm going to deny it unless you give me a sign that I need, that I'm supposed to do it, you know? And I'm like, if there was one kid in the past ward that ever remembered me, that could remember my name and said, I made a difference and I would accept the calling. Literally the day I was supposed to meet with the, the bishop, I got a wedding invitation from a kid in the ward and Sandy that we were at. Uh -huh. I cried. I'm like, but that was a sign, right? Like, and we want to give back a sign. Yeah. yeah. And so every, you know, you have to have a vision of what that is. What's your sign as a bishop? What is it? What's, what's your signature? When you leave, what will people always Remember that you actually did, as opposed to checking the boxes, yeah. right? And then go all in to that, right? To Rather go than, all in. well, the last guy did this, so maybe I should do a little bit of that. That's a little right. Bit of this, That's right. And, right. And I love that as far as in the context of vision, like personal vision, because a lot of times you hear vision, you know, in a professional setting, leadership setting, it's like, yeah. All right, let's come together. What's our company vision or our ward vision? And and that's maybe an important step, but 
it first starts with you have to walk into these roles with a personal vision, a personal signature, a mark that you're going to leave. That's right. That's right. And mine was like, what I knew is that I was going to build a culture that created leaders. That was my vision. Like, Mm. I'm going to make a culture so that people just grow that whoever, you know, and honestly, in my ward, it was kind of interesting. Like there were literally 15 men in my ward that could have been the bishop. Right. So this wasn't a ward where like, uh, there's only one of three guys or, you know, there's, you know, maybe there's four, like we had 15 men, literally, I went through yeah. it. I'm like, they were probably beyond their time. Yeah. I mean, like yeah. these guys, anybody could be here, you know? So then I thought if he called me, what is it about me that he wants? Yeah. What am I good at? What am I naturally good at? He would say, I just want you to be you. And th- that was the thing that what I was good at in business was creating the culture. Uh-huh. And what I realized is that if God asked me to be an instrument in his hand, then he just wants me to be me. And what am I good at? Making a culture, creating leaders. That's what he wants me to do. Like I heard it, but I know like it mirrored what I already was. And he doesn't want you to be anything. He just wants you to be who you really are. Yeah. Does that make yeah. sense? Like, yeah. And and I love this and I see this, this is like the the details and the dynamics of what inspiration is because we often think that I just want to do the Lord's will. So we go into the office and we, you know, pray and we hum a little bit and we ponder and we just want this. But it's like, I made decisions as a bishop because of maybe an experience happened when I was 12. Well, where God was inspiring me as a bishop in 2013 because of what he did when I was 12, right? 100%. And we often have this tendency, no, I'm going to wipe it all clean. I don't want any of my tendencies to skew the direction. It's like, no, 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 no. Like you are called, you're going to make decisions because, and that doesn't mean you're not inspired. That's right. So one thing, when I was first called, I actually was doing this transaction in Utah County. And there was a family there that there were seven brothers and a father. Every person had been a bishop. All of their brothers had been a bishop (laughs) and they're all signing on this land deal or something. And uh, anyway, so the one guy there, by the way, can you look them up? I get an interview. Yeah, I know. So it was crazy. (laughs) Like literally like they had all been bishops. (laughs) And one guy just got called or, uh-huh. uh, or he just got released and his brother got called. Like right. these are different wards, right? Like different, yeah, yeah. even different stakes. Just, right, it was right. crazy. Anyway. So I said, Hey, what's the one advice you'd give to me as a bishop? Like, what did you tell me? And he says, Oh, I want to tell you this. He's like, the bishop before me was a psychiatrist. He says, and what he knew, and he actually taught me this. He goes, what, what God knew was that the people needed a bishop that was a psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. He goes, so everything that he did, he did it like he would already do it. He knew the tool. He was a hammer. He picked up the hammer. He's like, I need you to be this because yeah. he knew who he already was. He said, so he solved everything. He goes, I hated it. He was like, I was the executive secretary and I sat there for hours because he's sitting there, you know, <laughs> uh, hashing this out with them. Anyway, and he says, and when he called me, he knew that I was a carpenter. He goes, and he knew that I could just like hammer things home. I, I just cut and dry. It's this, it's exact. We measure twice, cut once, you know, Mm -hmm. just like, that's what you do. You just put the hole in the ground. And he's like, he goes, and that my personality was 100% needed. And he literally said this to me. He's like, what are you good at in your business? And I'm like, creating leaders and building culture. He goes, that's exactly what he wants you to do. I'm like, and I knew that, Mm -hmm. but when he just said it, like to me, it wasn't a coincidence that within, it was like six weeks or eight weeks I had been called. He says that I just, I literally cried. I'm like, oh my gosh. Like I said, this is amazing. Like this is exactly what I needed to hear. He's like, that's right. So that's what you're going to do. And I'm like, there's no way this guy just shows up. You know, it was crazy. And now his advice has been projected to, yeah. to thousands. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. I wish I could remember his name. I would give him the credit. <laughs> right. 
Well, that's cool. And again, and then on the other side, sometimes we get leaders in our life we just don't jive with. Like every decision they make, they're like, no, I would have done it totally different. And, it's, right. and it's hard. That's but right. to realize, well, actually, God put them there to be them. And they've got some weaknesses, not like they can't improve. That's right. But how can I work with the hammer that he's put in, that's to, right. the, to the job, right? That's right. Yeah, yep, that's, that's right. Awesome. So next principle you talk about is, is empathy. And this is a tough one because as leaders, we want to be empathetic. We sort of see that's our job, right? But then it's hard. Like the practice of it is hard. So what guidance do you have? Yeah. So empathy, again, this is a, a Brene Brown kind of a, you know, she was mm-hmm. to me, like she's models it, right? Mm-hmm. She's very good at teaching it. And empathy, you know, what I realized is that we don't understand it. And there, you know, and Brene Brown says it. And what I realized is that one day, you know, my, the role of the bishop is to help people along the covenant pathway. What I realize is that, you know, the covenants that we make have, you know, there's a title to the covenant, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, there's a name to it. And anyway, one day I was thinking about it and it just kind of hit me that our baptismal covenant is a covenant of empathy. Hmm. Like it is the quintessential covenant, right? Like it's, and Christ, and I taught this. So what's interesting is that when I listened to vulnerability, power of vulnerability and read uh, Dare, uh, Dare to Lead, talked a lot about empathy and I actually made it something like I, I taught it in at work, mm-hmm. empathy. I made a CE class for it for real estate agents, oh, empathy, really? a two hour CE class. Cause I'm like, empathy is at the core of everything that we do until I actually understand empathy until someone knows they're understood. They're never going to share what they want to share. I mean, they can feel safe and I can make it safe, but like, but empathy, part of safety, ultimately safety is Part, when safety becomes at its highest point is when I can express empathy, right? Mm. So, and to me, that's the baptismal covenant, to mourn with those who mourn, mm. to comfort those who stand in need of comfort. And what I learned is that, you know, empathy isn't sympathy. Empathy is a Greek word. M means into or in. Pathos is a Greek word for passion or pain. So it means into the pain. Mm. Sympathy means to seeing, to be in the same pain. So there's a difference of being in the same pain. If you and I, you know, are stuck in a boring meeting, we're in the same pain, you know, (laughs) but if I'm not in the meeting and you're in the boring meeting and I choose to go into your pain, say, I know how it feels to be in that meeting. Uh It's awful. You're sweating. You're like, how much longer? This guy got to go, you know? So empathy is, is, is a choice to go into that person's pain the way they see it, according Mm. to their model of the world, not yours, theirs. Right. Yeah. So, what I realized is that the more I was able to empathize with what kids were experiencing. So when you say like, how did you create safety at my highest? It's because I understood empathy. So again, empathy, there's these four attributes that Brene Brown talks about, but Teresa Wiseman is a nursing scholar who, who did this whole study of it and kind of boiled it down to four points, right? Four attributes of it. One, you appreciate and understand that person's model of the world. That's one. Like I have to understand what it means to them, what they experience day to day because of this. Not what I experienced day to day when my dog died, mm-hmm. what they experienced day to day because their dog died. Because it may sense? seem ridiculous to you, their experience. That's right. Until but, you understand their, that model. Yeah. Right? But even if my dog died, it's not how I felt. Right. I know I felt this too. It's not that. It's like, so when your dog dies, when you wake up, what do you feel? Mm-hmm. You know, I miss going on walks. I never took my dog on a walk. We lived in the country. The dog ran the countryside. Like, I don't, so I don't know what that feels like. Uh-huh. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's like, what do you miss? So one was appreciate and understand their model of the world Two, recognize the emotions that they're experiencing. Mm. 
Like, what are the emotions because of this experience that you're having? And three is convey understanding of those emotions. And four is no, zero judgment, which is the hardest to do is, yeah. is to not judge somebody. <laughs> so what happened with empathy is that I taught this to Ward Council. We actually taught it in Fifth Sunday. And here, this is the question I asked. I said, raise your hand if, some, if a neighbor, you were a home teacher or visiting teacher at some point in your life, and your neighbor was going through a divorce, foreclosure, job loss, something big. And you were like, oh, I don't know. I don't want to go over there and talk to them. Yeah, what maybe I'll give them space. Right? What am I going to say? Right? Yeah. And why people say, when somebody brings me cookies when I lost my job, that's the worst. It feels like a pity. Yeah. Because they're not empathized with, they're sympathized with. Mm. And sympathy drives disconnection. If I'm in the same pain, now I'm just talking about my pain. They're like, you don't even care about mine. You would care about telling me about yours. Right? <laughs> yeah. And so I asked everybody in, more, in uh, Fifth Sunday, I'm like, raise your hand if you felt this way. Yeah, I'd raise my hand. <laughs> yeah. So then I said, now raise your hand if you've experienced some of these things. And a couple of things I put on there was suicide of a spouse, suicide of a child, death of a spouse, divorce, infidelity of a spouse, just not plain divorce, like amicably. But so I listed this and I said, now here's what I want you to know. Raise your hand if you've experienced any one of these hard things. So everybody raises their hand. And I said, raise, keep your hand in the air if you felt like somebody came over and they actually knew what you were going through and everybody put their hand down. So here we are to mourn with those who mourn and nobody who actually experienced that thing ever felt like somebody understood me. Hmm. And I said, raise your hand if you want to understand how to do it. Everybody raise your hand. Raise and and hand, I, said, yeah. I said, raise your hand if you were experiencing one of these things and when the person came over, you expected the person to fix it. Nobody raised their hand. Yeah. I'm like, I know. I said, raise your hand if the only thing you wanted was to be understood and for someone to say, that's hard. I don't even know how you're going through it. Everybody raises their hand. So I'm like, so I said, so here it is. Look at this, guys. You were all scared to go to the neighbor. All we want to do is drop cookies off and ring the doorbell. And we all know they don't want it fixed. So why are you scared? I'm like, because you don't understand the attribute is charity. The skill is empathy. And you don't understand how to do it. It's a skill. It's a skill. And yeah. I said, I'm going to tell you something. My dad's the most unempathetic person in the world, like military <laughs> sergeant. You get cut. You know, I remember I got cut on my foot and he's like, I don't care that you're cut. Get up and walk it. You know, I'm like, <laughs> I got stitched. My brother had a broken arm. He's like, I don't care if you got a broken arm, carry the wood. My brother's carrying wood with a broken arm. My, you know, so I was like, listen, if I can be empathetic and my dad, <laughs> you know, anyway, I'm like, it's, it's just a skill. And I'm like, when you can ask them, questions. And here, here are some ways that you would ask them. You know, I walked them through it. Honestly, like it changed. And then at the end, I'm like, who feels like you can at least feel enough courage that you want to try it? Like if someone that you were home teaching was going through one of the things, you'd say, Hey, I'm willing to experiment on that. I'm willing to try that. Yeah. We all raise hand. I'm like, I know. Cause you feel, you know, it's going to work because you know, that's how you wanted to be treated. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I would tell the word, I told you know, the word, I'm like, read this book. Yeah. It will help you. If you really want to do it, that book will help you to understand it. And so what, what's the book again? Dare to Lead. Oh, Dare to Lead. Okay. Yeah, Dare to Lead. Yeah, uh, yeah. But that and, you know, Power of Vulnerability, they were, they were really close together, but Dare to Lead was like, was, was how to do it in leadership, right? Mm -hmm. But like both of those books, I think either one of them, you'd learn it. Right. But yeah, I just said, read one of these two books or read them both. I'm right. Like when I want to learn something, I read three books on it before I feel like I got it, uh -huh. you know? Yeah. And it was crazy. And everybody said like, I know you know, I understand what empathy is, you know, that makes sense. So yeah. 
and it gives them the courage. Like once you define it and paint the picture, then it's like, oh, okay, well, I I'll step into that because somebody's pointed out that that's what it is and it's scary and you know, go for it. That's right. That's yeah. right. That's, that's right. Awesome. Last one, building leaders. Do we t- touch on those throughout the? Yeah, I think more- we touched on that. Just this to me, t- taking the time. So like ward council for me, every week I would spend fifteen to twenty minutes talking about a leadership principle. Because mm-hmm. I'm like, I need to arm you with the skills to go do your job. I said, my goal is that you guys within your own presidencies can solve your problems. I said, honestly, the only thing you should bring to ward council is I've tried this five different ways. We can't solve it. And then you bring it, mm-hmm. you know? So like, um, I would have somebody in ward council, they come in and say, we, this is happening. Primary came to this. We have this kid that we can't control and we don't know what to do. We're going to give him to his mom or something like that. And I'm like, what else have you tried? You know, they bring it and I'm like, go back and try four more things before you bring it back. Mm-hmm. Go wear yourself out first before trying to wear us out. Like do your job, yeah. like figure it out. Like tell us what worked and what didn't work. Cause growth mindset was like, when we read that book, I'm like, you need to fail at it several times before you really start to understand the problem. So go fail at it four or five times, then bring it back. And then we'll talk about it. But I'm not going to talk about it on your first failure. Yeah. We tried one time and it didn't work. I'm like, are you lame in a lamb? You know? <laughs> like, go tell me that you got the gold and you took it to him and then he robbed you of it. And then you say, now I don't know what else to do. Do that. Uh-huh. Get yeah. to that point. They're like, that's scary. I'm like, now you can empathize with them. Right, right. You know? Exactly. And I love that, that, you know, when you're empowering the leaders to, you know, to go and, and try some things out. And, and two, like meetings are a vacuum. Like if you don't intentionally fill that time, they'll bring their problems and the ward council will feel it. So you're saying, no, we're doing 20, 30 minutes of leadership stuff. That's right. And it will empower you not to have to bring your problems here. That's right. Whether it was like, whether we were talking about welfare, Mm -hmm. you know, whether we we had ward council, uh, you know, uh, we did it twice instead of doing one big two hour meeting or three hour meeting, we'd, we would do it two or three times a month, but just in shorter spurts, you know? And so every time I'm like, I'm going to teach you something, we're going to learn this. Then we're going to go practice this. I'll never forget. We had a new elders corn president come and he's like, Hey, uh, we have this problem and we tried this. And I'm like, have you tried? I'm like, that's all you did. And he's like, yeah, I'm like, no, like do this, do, you know, try four or five times and or whatever. And he goes, man. And then at the end of ward council, I'm like, what, what, what'd you guys learn today? And he goes, I learned that not to bring any problems here until I've tried it like five or six times. <laughs> and I'm like, that's right. Like, and what are you going to learn from that? You know? Yeah. And the Lord trusts you to do it. He gave you you were called. That means he's going to inspire. He trusted Nephi. Nephi didn't say, let me go back to dad first. I'm sure if we walk back to dad and ask him what to do, he could give us the answer. I'm like, no, keep going. Mm-hmm. Make, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so they felt like, and I'm like, it's okay to make a mistake. I'm like, you're not going to drive anybody away. And if you do, like you didn't do it with the intent of it, it can be fixed. People understand you're going to, you know, and so just made it safe for them to try. They love trying. And I, I will say this and I'm not like, when people would leave their calling, when I would, you know, do an exit interview, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, again, just like in, in, in business, I would ask them like, what should I have done better? What did you not like? You know, what, what, you know, where are we struggling? Where do you think we need to focus on? And I would ask them like, what are you going to miss the most? Every person said ward council. I'm like, you're going to miss a meeting the most. <laughs> They're like, well, I'm like, why? They're like, I learned, I understood, and I got to try it. Like I actually got to try an experiment with being a leader. I just took orders before, you know, they're like, my leadership was my, who I am came out in my leadership, you know, and doing that. The other thing that when someone was called, I would ask them, what I want you to do is ask God, 
Ask Heavenly Father why he called you. What is it you're supposed to teach the sisters? Why is he calling you? Like if Jesus had the atonement, President Benson had the Book of Mormon, you know, like these things. I'm like, what is it for you? And every time they'd come back, like, I know what it is now. Like I remember uh, this young women's president. She's like, the girls are supposed to learn the power of the temple with me. That's it. If I just teach them the power of the temple and that's all I did, that's enough. I'm like, that's right. Go for it. Go for it. Go do it. That's it. You know? Wow. That's powerful. That's awesome. The last question I have for you is, you know, reflecting back, especially your time as, as a bishop, being a leader, how has that time as a leader helped you become a better follower of Jesus Christ? Yeah. So glad you asked this. Like, like right after I got released, something really hard. I went through something super hard right after, you know? And I thought for five years, I crushed it. Like, I, I'm like, these kids, all these kids went on missions, all these, you know, like I gave my all, like I felt, you know, I had, anyway, it, it was great. And I went through something really hard. And uh, I remember, remember like, you know, a month after I got released, being angry, like with Heavenly Father, like I did all these things, like all these kids went on missions and all these kids, you know, <laughs> all these things that I'm like, and here you left me to figure this out. And anyway, it was hard for me. I remember just feeling angry and thinking, if you don't come through me on this, if you don't help me in this, like, what am I, like, how do I have faith? Like I did everything in my mind. Right. And uh, what I realized is that like, like I realized like you never make it. Meaning like you've never, you don't deserve anything. You've never earned it. You know, like there's nothing you're going to do that you're ever going to earn your salvation. And that just because you're going through something hard doesn't mean that you didn't do everything right or that you did something wrong or that he doesn't appreciate what you just did, all the service that you did, you know. And what I realized is that I'm always on President Boyd K. Packer said that we will all be saviors on Mount Zion, lowercase s, right? And what I realized is that I'm always on a savior's journey. Like I'm always on a path to become greater and the path to become greater has pain. And that pain doesn't mean that you're a sinner any more than Jesus dying on the cross meant he was a sinner because he wasn't or that he's punishing him. It just means I'm on a path of learning how to surrender my will to his. And the better I am at learning, at surrendering, that's where I feel the most love because that's where I allow God to lead me, right? To like, to walk, to know that he's going to walk me down a path that I will end up and it will be exquisite, you know? It's like Lehi had the same vision, right? Darkness cried out, like, what's happening? And then all of a sudden, the light showed up. It's Lehi's vision. That's, you know? And I just realized, like, he's never forsaken me and there's nothing I can do where I'm not loved and he doesn't want to punish me. He just wants me to learn. And so every time I'm going through something hard, I'm like, I just got to, I'm ready to learn, I guess. And the second I submit to being the student, the lesson shows up and the pain goes away and it makes it all make, you know, it all makes sense. So that's what it taught me. That concludes my interview with Louis Hemner. A big shout out to him. I thank him for uh, being willing to sit down and really be vulnerable, right? <laughs> Very meta episode talking about vulnerability and seeing Louis get, get vulnerable. I mean, he's such a model of these principles. I was so inspired by this. I hope that you share this. 
share this episode. Who needs to hear it? Drop it in an email, put it on social media, whatever you need to do, help other individuals sort of contemplate this approach to leadership that, that Louis, uh, Louis illustrator or, or modeled for us. So inspiring. We have future plans to involve Louis in maybe some uh, future content. And so if you liked what you heard, I hope that you go to leadingsaints.org slash contact. Let us know or put a comment on the post on the website. And uh, let me know what follow-up questions you have, what impressions came to mind, some application, the inspiration that came to you, how you're going to apply these things. It was awesome. So this is how we get phenomenal leaders on the podcast is we get people that are recommending individuals like Louie and others to come and allow me to sit down and interview them. And so go to leadingsaints.org slash contact if you have anybody of note that uh, that maybe we should reach out to. And uh, hopefully we'll do just that. And remember, text the word LEAD to 474747 in order to access the three most popular sessions of the Liberating Saints Library. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the own and only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness, the loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away, and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.